This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit www.librivox.org. Washington Square by Henry James, read for LibriVox by Dawn Murphy in El Segundo, California. Chapter Three. As a child, she had promised to be tall, but when she was sixteen, she ceased to grow, and her stature, like most other points in her composition, was not unusual. She was strong, however, and properly made, and fortunately her health was excellent. It has been noted that the doctor was a philosopher, but I would not have answered for his philosophy if the poor girl had proved a sickly and suffering person. Her appearance of health constituted her principal claim to beauty, and her clear, fresh complexion, in which white and red were very equally distributed, was indeed an excellent thing to see. Her eye was small and quiet, her features were rather thick, her tresses brown and smooth. A doll, plain girl she was called by rigorous critics, a quiet, ladylike girl by those of the more imaginative sort but by neither class was she very elaborately discussed. When it had been duly impressed upon her that she was a young lady, it was a good while before she could believe it. She suddenly developed a lively taste for dress. A lively taste is quite the expression to use. I feel as if I ought to write it very small. Her judgment in this matter was by no means infallible. It was liable to confusions and embarrassments. Her great indulgence of it was really the desire of a rather inarticulate nature to manifest itself. She sought to be eloquent in her garments, and to make up for her diffidence of speech by a fine frankness of costume. But if she expressed herself in her clothes, it is certain that people were not to blame for not thinking her a witty person. It must be added that, though she had the expectation of a fortune, Dr. Sloper, for a long time, had been making twenty thousand dollars a year by his profession, and laying aside the half of it. The amount of money at her disposal was not greater than the allowance made to many poorer girls. In those days, in New York, there were still a few altar-fires flickering in the temple of Republican simplicity, and Dr. Sloper would have been glad to see his daughter present herself with a classic grace— as a priestess of this mild faith. It made him fairly grimace, in private, to think that a child of his should be both ugly and overdressed. For himself he was fond of the good things of life, and he made a considerable use of them. But he had a dread of vulgarity, and even a theory that it was increasing in the society that surrounded him. Moreover, the standard of luxury in the United States thirty years ago was carried by no means so high as at present, and Catherine's clever father took the old-fashioned view of the education of young persons. He had no particular theory on the subject. It had scarcely as yet become a necessity of self-defense to have a collection of theories. It simply appeared to him proper and reasonable that a well-bred young woman should not carry half her fortune on her back. Catherine's back was a broad one, and would have carried a good deal. 
but to the weight of the paternal displeasure she never ventured to expose it and our heroine was twenty years old before she treated herself for evening wear to a red satin gown trimmed with gold fringe though this was an article which for many years she had coveted in secret it made her look when she sported it like a woman of thirty but oddly enough in spite of her taste for fine clothes she had not a grain of coquetry and her anxiety when she put them on was as to whether they and not she would look well it is a point on which history has not been explicit but the assumption is warrantable it was in the royal raiment just mentioned that she presented herself at a little entertainment given by her aunt mrs almond the girl was at this time in her twenty-first year and mrs almond's party was the beginning of something very important some three or four years before this dr sloper had moved his household goods uptown as they say in new york he had been living ever since his marriage in an edifice of red brick with granite copings and an enormous fanlight over the door standing in a street within five minutes walk of the city hall which saw its best days from the social point of view about eighteen twenty after this the tide of fashion began to set steadily northward as indeed in new york thanks to the narrow channel in which it flows it is obliged to do and the great hum of traffic rolled farther to the right and left of broadway by the time the doctor changed his residence the murmur of trade had become a mighty uproar which was music in the ears of all good citizens interested in the commercial development as they delighted to call it of their fortunate isle dr sloper's interest in this phenomenon was only indirect though seeing that as the years went on half his patients came to be overworked men of business it might have been more immediate and when most of his neighbors dwellings also ornamented with granite copings and large fan lights had been converted to offices warehouses and shipping agencies and otherwise applied to the base uses of commerce he determined to look out for a quieter home the ideal of quiet and of genteel retirement in eighteen thirty five was found in washington square where the doctor built himself a handsome modern wide-fronted house with a big balcony before the drawing-room windows and a flight of white marble steps ascending to a portal which also faced with white marble this structure and many of its neighbors which it exactly resembled were supposed forty years ago to embody the last results of architectural science and they remain to this day very solid and honorable dwellings in front of them was a square containing a considerable quantity of inexpensive vegetation enclosed by a wooden paling which increased its rural and accessible appearance and round the corner was the more august precinct of the fifth avenue taking its origin at this point with a spacious and confident air which already marked it for high destinies i know not whether it is owning to the tenderness of early associations but this portion of new york appears to many persons the most delectable it has a kind of established repose which is not a frequent occurrence in other quarters of the long shrill city it has a riper richer more honorable look than any of the upper ramifications of the great longitudinal thoroughfare 
the look of having had something of a social history it was here as you might have been informed on good authority that you had come into a world which appeared to offer a variety of sources of interest it was here that your grandmother lived in venerable solitude and it dispensed a hospitality which commended itself alike to the infant imagination and the infant palate it was here that you took your first walks abroad, following the nursery-maid with unequal step, and sniffing up the strange odour of the alenthus trees, which at the time formed the principal umbrage of the square, and diffused an aroma that you were not yet critical enough to dislike as it deserved. It was here, finally, that your first school, kept by a broad-bosomed, broad-based old lady with a ferule, who was always having tea in a blue cup with a saucer that didn't match, enlarged the circle both of your observations and your sensations. It was here, at any rate, that my heroine spent many years of her life, which is my excuse for this topographical parenthesis. Mrs. Almond lived much further uptown, in an embryonic street, with a high number, a region where the extension of the city began to assume a theoretic air, where poplars grew beside the pavement, when there was one, and mingled their shade with the steep roofs of desultory Dutch houses, and where pigs and chickens disported themselves in the gutter. These elements of rural picturesqueness have now wholly departed from New York street scenery, but they were to be found within the memory of middle-aged persons in quarters which now would blush to be reminded of them. Catherine had a great many cousins, and with her and Almond's children, who ended by being nine in number, she lived on terms of considerable intimacy. When she was younger, they had been rather afraid of her. She was believed, as the phrase is, to be highly educated, and a person who lived in the intimacy of their Aunt Pennyman had something of reflected grandeur. Mrs. Pennyman, among the little almonds, was an object of more admiration than sympathy. Her manners were strange and formidable, and her mourning robes—she dressed in black for twenty years after her husband's death, and then suddenly appeared one morning with pink roses in her cap—were complicated in odd, unexpected places, with buckles, bulges, and pins, which discouraged familiarity. She took children too hard, both for good and for evil, and had an oppressive air of expecting subtle things of them, so that going to see her was a good deal like being taken to church and made to sit in a front pew. It was discovered, after a while, however, that Aunt Pennyman was but an accident in Catherine's existence, and not a part of its essence, and that when the girl came to spend a Saturday with her cousins, she was available for follow my master, and even for leapfrog. On this basis, an understanding was easily arrived at, and for several years Catherine fraternized with her young kinsmen. I say young kinsmen, because seven of the little almonds were boys, and Catherine had a preference for those games which were most conveniently played in trousers. By degrees, however, the little almonds' trousers began to lengthen, and the wearers to disperse and settle themselves in life. The elder children were older than Catherine, and the boys were sent to college or placed in counting-rooms. Of the girls, one married very punctually, and the other as punctually became engaged. It was to celebrate this latter event that Mrs. Almond gave the little party I have mentioned. 
her daughter was to marry a stout young stockbroker, a boy of twenty. It was thought a very good thing. End of chapter 3 This has been a LibriVox recording of Washington Square, a novel by Henry James, read for LibriVox by Don Murphy, in El Segundo, California, 